0: so great to be with you uh, today. Um, have you ever noticed that everything you do in life these days seems to come with a waiver, with a liability form? There's like terms of service, end user agreements on everything, download an app and you know, they'll have like a whole thing. You have to like scroll to the bottom, click agree to use the app or whatever it is. I I went skiing over the Christmas holidays. I think there's a picture of a ski in my family. There we are skiing, uh, big white. And uh, I needed to rent some boots. I needed to rent some ski boots and I went to the rental counter and they gave me a three page document uh, to sign to rent boots. And, and as we were signing it, I was looking at this this waiver, this liability, and uh, they wanted to make sure I really knew and understood and, under, and agreed to the inherent risks of skiing. Now, I don't know about you if you've skied or not, but I like strapping your feet into boards that have been aerodynamically designed and shaped to get you down the hill, that have been specifically and specially waxed for the sole purpose of reducing any friction that may slow you down. Like that, I understand the liability that comes uh, with skiing, and so this three-page document, uh, you know, and, and she said, you know, sign here, an initial here, literally, like no joke, I had this initial and sign in six different places just to rent some boots for them to let me hurdle myself down the mountain uh, skiing. Now, I don't know about you, but half the time, you know, I wasn't really reading. I would have been there for like until lunchtime if I was reading. All, how many of you, you just like, yeah, yeah, sign, 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 initial, right? You just like scroll to the bottom, click, I agree, whatever it is, you know, that's probably good, right? Right? We do that sometimes and, and we, we assign. Have you ever got involved with something and you agreed to something and you didn't really understand what it was you were agreeing to? Have you ever been involved with that, right? Maybe you had to go back and someone said, well, it's in the fine print. It's in the paperwork. You agreed to it. You're like, but I didn't know, right? If you ever agreed to something, I was uh, 19 years old, and I've told you before, I had a job on a Christmas tree farm, and I worked on this farm for a whole year, uh, every single day outside in the elements, and that was great uh, until the middle of winter, uh, you know, and so uh, the snow was coming down, it was getting uh, cold, and I thought, I need a new job. And so I went looking in the newspaper and I found a job for a place called Durham Air Care. Durham Air Care was hiring and I uh, put my resume in and they called me in for an interview. And uh, the interview must have gone good because they said, come back tomorrow and we'll do some training. And I thought, okay, I got this job. During, I said, well, what should I wear to work tomorrow? Like, what kind of, you know, work, you know workplace attire? Back back then, you know, I was wearing a shirt and tie to my job interview. And uh, and uh, they said, well, just come whatever you wore to the interview, wear that to, to work tomorrow. So I went to work the next day, and there was a, a whole bunch of trainees. We were all standing outside Durham AirCare waiting to get let in to uh, to do some training. And uh, there was a variety of clothing. I was wearing a shirt and tie. Some people were wearing a sweatshirt and jeans. I'd wasn't quite sure what was going on, but we were all standing around waiting for the doors to open, and uh, we were kind of, there was a common question, like, does anybody know what what we do here? (laughs) Does anyone know what this business is about? And and so they let us inside, and so for the whole morning, it was awesome. Training was great. They told us all about the incentives. There was trips that could be won. Last year, you know, someone got a trip to the Bahamas. It was great, you know, and so I'm looking at, this is, this sounds like a great company to work for, and, and they showed us some videos explaining to us that our product was made with, a, like, space-age technology, the same materials that they use in the space shuttle and the filtration systems at Durham AirCare Care were, like, revolutionary, and uh, they were gonna just improve the health and the lives of all the families uh, in our city uh, through our business. And I'm like, well, this sounds exciting. And we were getting, we were there for about two hours uh, learning all about this company and how great it would be. And uh, right before lunch, the, the trainer says, well, I guess we should talk more about the product. Are you ready to see it? And we're like, yeah, yeah, let's see this product that we're gonna be, you know, I don't know if we're manufacturing it or selling it. I don't know what we're doing here. And so they brought the product out and they unveiled it. And my jaw dropped to the floor. This space-age technology, the filtration system was a vacuum. You are going to be taking these vacuums into the homes of people all around our city, door to door selling vacuums. I thought, this is not what I signed up for. Now here's the thing, because I'd gotten the job, I would called my boss at the tree farm the day before and said, hey, I got a job, I won't be coming back to the tree farm. <laughs> I called him back that afternoon and said, can I please come back to the tree farm? I didn't realize what I was saying yes to. You know, maybe as a parent, you've said that. Your kids are like, hey, mom, dad, can we? And you're like, I didn't realize what I was saying yes to you. Have you ever had a birthday party for five-year-olds? You didn't know what you were saying (laughs) yes to. Maybe you've had that in your life. I didn't know what I was signing up for. Maybe you got into something. You thought, this is harder than I thought it would be. This is more involved than I thought it would be. Maybe it was a job or a volunteer role. Maybe you took a course, and the course was a lot heavier and more intense than you thought it would be. Uh, Maybe your friend invited you to CrossFit. And you're like, this is not what I was signing up for. I was thinking about that in our spiritual lives, right? How much do we approach our spiritual life and we talked about it simply this morning, right, when we were dedicated, but we just simply receive the kingdom of God, but sometimes we get into spiritual life and we think, "This is not what I signed up for. This is harder, this is more intense, this is more demanding, more involved than I thought it would be. You know, if I could be honest and transparent with you, I've been wrestling with this message all week. I've been really wrestling with how to deliver it, how to put it together. See, last weekend we kicked off a series, a new sermon series that we called Living on a Prayer, and uh, the worship team, they were, they were good to, they said this is a four week series, right? I said, yeah, it's a four week series, and they said, this is a week two, right? And I said, yeah, it's week two, and then they said, oh, we're halfway there, oh, oh. There we go. Thank you for Brian Hartman for that this morning. But last week we started this series and we did just a quick poll of hands and we said how many believe in the power of prayer and all across the room people put their hands up, I believe in the power of prayer. Then we did another quick poll. and we said how many would say that our prayer life is something that we need to develop, that I feel the need to cultivate, that isn't all that it could be and hands went up all across the room. Why is it that we believe in the power of prayer and yet sometimes we struggle to pray? And we want to talk about that. Prayer really is just real people talking to a real God about real things. But the issue is that many of us come to prayer and we run into the same problem. A lot of people have expressed this over the years. I've experienced it. Maybe you have too. Is that sometimes we come to prayer and prayer is boring. Prayer's boring. We don't like to pray. It's not exciting as worship. It's not as engaging as the preaching. Prayer can be Boring, but here's my premise, and this is it. I think prayer is only boring when we get into the rut and routine of praying boring prayers. Last week we talked about praying prayers that are safe and easy, repetitive and benign. If you weren't here last week, you wanna go and you wanna check out last week's message. And, and if I could just be honest, if you were just to look at the, the overall scope of many of our prayers, we would say our prayer is pretty generic. Uh, it's pretty predictable. They're pretty safe sometimes. We pray safe prayers. We pray, God, would you be with me? Would you protect me? Bless me? Bless the food. And that's the extent of our. Prayer life. If you were to analyze our prayers for many of us, you would think that the goal of life was to live life and arrive at death as safely as possible, right? Our prayer life is kind of like putting bubble wrap around our lives and if we could just bubble wrap ourselves, put us in a box and we'll arrive at the pearly gates one day, we'd be good. But John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. How many of the full life doesn't come wrapped in bubble wrap? Right. Last week, we talked about the prayers that turbocharge our faith, prayers that turbocharge our spiritual lives, the prayers that propel us into living the full life God created us for. So this series is based on four prayers that are going to propel us into the life of excitement and the life uh, that God's called us to, anything but boring. These prayers are guaranteed to push us out of our comfort zones, and if I'm being honest, they're going to make us a little uncomfortable. They're gonna make us stretch. They're gonna make us be a little bit honest about ourselves, to look deep within ourselves. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna confront some things in our lives. And so last week, we kicked off with the most vulnerable of prayers found in Psalm 139. And the prayer was, search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and leads me along the path of everlasting life. So last week we talked that these prayers, they can be daunting to pray, but they're ex- exhilarating when you're living them out. And, uh, and, so, and so a few of you uh, at the game last night, you're like, oh, I just really loved last week's prayer. That was so great. God searched me. Well, I just said to them, wait until tomorrow. Uh, you might not like me as much. We'll see. As I'm wrestling, as I'm studying and I'm praying, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to package this prayer that, in a way that makes it sound better. I want to say it in a way that's more like, yeah, that's so inspiring. Let's pray that together. Let's pray it in a more gentler, kindler, more palatable way. But, but this prayer, I don't think there's any way to get around it. This prayer is one of the, the most significant prayers it's one of the ones that frees us the most. It causes the most spiritual growth in our lives. It's the greatest source of intimacy that we could pray. And yet yeah, it's one of the hardest prayers to pray. Yeah, you want to know what it is? God, break me. God, break me. Now you know I've been wrestling with this all week. Psalm fifty-one sixteen says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer you one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Now you're here, Pastor Jerry, I thought the opposite was true. I thought God wanted to heal me, I thought God wanted to restore us and make us whole, and that's certainly true. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I don't want to be broken, I want to be whole. That's what I came to Jesus for, right? I don't want to pray, God, break me. I want to pray, God, free me, God, heal me, God, bless me, God, use me for your purposes. These are the prayers I pray. These are the prayers of my heart. Right? These are sincere, genuine prayers. These are meaningful prayers. God, would you free me from sin? Free me from the habits and the addictive behaviors. Free me from my selfishness and my self-sufficiency. God, free me of my stubbornness and my pride. God, would you deliver me from fear? Soften my heart. Heal me of my brokenness. Bless me so I can be a blessing to others. God, I want to be more like you. God, would you make me new? Those are the prayers that I pray. But there's something about these prayers and there's something intrinsic to these prayers. And it's a hard lesson that I've learned many times throughout the years is that God will often need to break you in order to remake you. See, your path to wholeness often leads through brokenness. Now, as we see through Scripture, it's sin that breaks us. Our sin and the sins of others that we bump into cause brokenness in our lives. The circumstances of living in a fallen world cause brokenness. And God uses it all. He never wastes a pain. But he uses it all to refine us and to rebuild us if we'll let him. And so here's the thing. While we may not pray specifically God break us, intrinsically in those other prayers I just mentioned, is that fine print. It's kind of that, yeah, what's involved in this? There's a breaking process in the middle of being free, of being used, of being blessed. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. See, instead of God break me, I pray God free me. In Romans 6, it says this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? Yeah. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Verse 12 says Do not let sin control the way you live, do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Amen? Amen. The power of sin, the sin's grip on your life is broken, Jesus says, but my question for you today, is your grip on sin broken? Sin's grip on you is broken, but is your grip on sin broken? What have you been holding on to that keeps you from experiencing the freedom and the fullness of life that Jesus wants to give you? There's a picture of uh, Holly and I. This is 2007. We were at a, in Thailand, and uh, we're at a waterfall, and uh, you can see that waterfall. That's the Thai waterfall. How do you know it is humid in Thailand? Hot and humid. We were there on a mission trip in 2007, and, and we were there, and uh, it was so hot that our our missionary uh, Peter Dewitt, right here on the bottom, uh, your right, I guess, uh, and he was there. And he said, you know what? We're gonna go swim in the waterfall, and it's gonna be great. So we were in the waterfall for hours just kind of floating around, letting it wash over us, you know, cascade us, and the current would kind of push us down the river a little bit. It was a lot of fun until all of a sudden it wasn't. Because all of a sudden I found myself in this place where I was being pushed down the river a little harder and faster than I wanted to do. And as I was, it was slippery, it was slimy, and I did the only thing that I could do. This next picture you'll see, I grabbed onto a boulder. And as I'm grabbing onto this boulder, my shorts are being pulled down, I'm being pulled down, I'm doing everything I can with my grip to hold onto this boulder. And this boulder began to shake. This boulder I was holding onto, feel it in the water, beginning to do this. It was barely holding me on. And so thankfully, the Thai pastor was on the shore, and he came, and he began to offer me his hand to reach out and to rescue me. But here's the thing, to receive rescue, I had to let go of my grip on what was keeping me safe and secure. And I was thinking about that this morning, that sometimes our grip is on sin. There's things in our lives that we do to numb and to cope. There are behaviors that we hold on to, and Jesus is saying, I need you to let go. I need you to let go of that thing so that I can reach out and rescue you. Uh, Sometimes I kind of got one hand on Jesus and one hand on that rock, as it were. I got one hand in Jesus and one hand on the sin. that, And Jesus is saying, sin's grip on you is broken, but is your grip on sin broken? God needs to bring us to the place of brokenness to make us let go. We need to come to the end of our rope as it is. Many times people experience that. I need to come to the end of myself where I have nothing left to let go on so that I could reach out with both hands and receive the salvation and freedom that God has for me. Sometimes God needs to allow us to be broken so that we're willing to let go of sin and reach out fully for him. It's the only way to be free. The other prayer I praise is this, God, heal me. God, heal me. Isaiah 53 verse five says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We're healed in Jesus' name. But how many know sometimes our past hurts and our traumas hinder us from the healing that God wants to bring us? Sometimes there are triggers and patterns of thinking and patterns of behavior. There are coping mechanisms and fears. There are insecurities. And this is the image that God gave me as I was praying this week. I don't know if you've ever had a broken bone. But a broken bone that's not set properly needs to be rebroken in order to be set properly. Right? The image that God gave me as I was preparing is that sometimes we have, in our brokenness, sin's broken us all, but I was clear about that, but sometimes we learn to limp. And we limp along through life, and and we make do, and we have certain things in our lives, certain wounds, certain patterns of thinking and behavior as a result of our brokenness, and we learn to limp along. But God, when we come to him and say, God, would you heal my heart? Would you heal my brokenness? There are certain times where God says, we're gonna need to re-break that wound. We need to re-break that open so that you can walk in healing and wholeness. Anyone ever had knee replacement surgery? My father-in-law had one a couple years ago. It's crazy, They just literally like cut out a huge section of your leg and then like fuse those titanium rods in there, right? How many know that I'd rather limp than go through the pain of having my leg cut open, having all that bone chopped up, right? Having to do rehab for months. Sometimes we find it easier to limp than we do to get healing and wholeness. God was showing me that sometimes he needs to break us in those areas so that he can heal us. Here's the thing though, sometimes we don't want to choose change until the pain of staying the same hurts worse than the pain of change, right? When we learn to limp, we have the discomfort and the pain that goes with it, but the pain of the surgery and the rehab and all the stuff that follows it is way more painful than limping, and yet that's what it takes to get to wholeness. God was showing me today that he needs to allow us to be rebroken in some of the areas where we learn to cope, because it's the only way to be truly healed. I want to pray, God, bless me. James 1, 2 to 4 says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God needs to break me out of my comfort zone sometimes. God needs to break me free from the places and the people and the things I hold on to for security, as, as my source of provision, as my source of identity. Sometimes God needs to strip all that away, as it were, so that we can truly learn to rely on him. Israel as a good picture of this. They wandered the uh, wilderness for 40 years. You know, it's been said that God had led them out of Egypt but he had to get Egypt out of them. And so for 40 years, he, he led them. And in their stubbornness and insolence, they refused to allow God to, to break them. He, they, they continued in these patterns of behavior and thinking. God needs to break us out of our comfort zones and our, from our independence. The saying is this, that you'll never truly know God is all you need until God is all you have. We're thinking about coming to this place of being a mature believer, one who's truly rooted and truly founded on Christ alone many times he needs to bring us to this place where God is all we have, so that we could truly understand that he's all that we need See that's the place we need to be on for him for him to truly bless us. Israel was on their way to the promised land God was promising to bless them, and yet it says in Deuteronomy that they weren't ready for the blessing because he knew as soon as they walked into the blessing, they would forget him. As soon as they walked into the blessing, they would begin to own it for themselves, and they would live in the comfort and luxury of the promised land without a a thought towards who their provider was. And so this Egypt, uh, this wilderness process was about God trying to break them of their independence and pride, of their stubbornness, and bring them to this place where they could be, truly blessed how many want to be truly blessed to be truly blessed you need to be in the place where God is all that you need it hurts to get there sometimes the fourth prayer is this I don't want to pray God break me I want to pray God use me we're going to talk about that in just a, in a couple of weeks from now uh, week four we're gonna wrap up our series on God send me but but God use me and, and, and if you have your Bible you could turn to Mark chapter 14 this morning and there's two stories found in Mark chapter 14 back to back and uh, the context of this chapter that we find in verse 1 and 2 is that Jesus is in Bethany and is coming towards the end of his ministry Those that have been plotting against him are are closing in, but because of the Passover feast that's coming, they've kind of said, let's just lay low for a few moments and we'll just watch and we'll wait. And and we we see here that Jesus is in Bethany and he's in the home of a man named Simon, a a leper that he had previously healed. And he's here having dinner with some friends when something really strange happens in Mark 14, uh, verse 3 says, while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Now, I don't know what essence of nard is. I haven't seen that at Shopper's Drug Mart. Uh, but... But I I was doing a little bit of research on it, and and the thing I found is that your average first century woman wasn't wearing perfume, right? They weren't wearing Chanel Number 5, or CK1, or Sol de Janeiro. They weren't wearing any of these fragrances. These were the fragrances of the elite. And We see here in a moment that the value placed on this perfume was a year's wages. I don't know if you brought home perfume and told your spouse it cost you a year's wages if they would be too happy with you uh, today, but it was a, a, attainable only by the elite. But something had resonated in this woman when she'd encountered Jesus. The respect and the dignity and the honor that he had given her and and the love that she'd received from him had so transformed her that she wanted to worship him. and and She wanted to do it in the most significant and sacrificial way she could imagine. And so this extravagant act of worship was to pour out this prized possession on the head of Jesus. Well, you can imagine that it was confusing to everyone else in the room. Mark 14, verse 4 says, some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? And then he goes on to prophesy that she's actually being led by the Spirit to, uh, to prepare him for his burial in a, in a um, symbolic way. But here's this woman and she took what many saw as a prized possession, a a status symbol, something that they would desire or aspire for and she breaks it and she pours it out for Jesus. You know, some of the people at the table, they start freaking out like, stop, what are you doing? Why are you wasting that? Do you realize what that's worth, right? They said, well, just just give Jesus a drop of it. Give Jesus maybe two drops, but imagine what we could do with the rest of it. But this woman's act of worship we see was so much more extravagant and and beautiful. You know, essentially this woman is saying, Jesus, I'm giving you my whole life. I'm all in. I was thinking that all the money that had gone in to buying this most uh, valuable possession, it, it represented her past life and her past efforts at life. They'd been tied up in this thing, and she broke it and poured it out for him. This thing was her, her future security. This was her life savings, as it were. You know, she had invested in this. This was something of value for the future, and she took it and broke it and poured it out. I was thinking that this was a symbol of status, you know, for someone to have this possession, and yet she said, this doesn't have any bearing on my identity. I don't need it. And I willingly break it and I pour it out as an act of worship. Broken and poured out. Would you say that with me this morning? Would you say broken and poured out? One more time. Broken and poured out. Let's go to the next uh, second story. It's immediately after this one in Mark 14. Two days later, Jesus is at another dinner party. I love Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus. I love dinner parties, but he's at this dinner party. And he, this one's a private meal with his disciples. This is a celebration of Passover, and the disciples didn't know it yet. But Jesus knew that this was going to be their last meal together. The plan had been set in motion, and the steps were beginning to take place that would lead Jesus to the cross. This is how Mark recounts Jesus sharing this news with his friends. Mark fourteen twenty two. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it and then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. What did the woman do with her most prized possession as an act of worship to Jesus? She broke it, poured it out. What did Jesus do with the emblems that would celebrate, uh, symbolize his life and death? What did he do with them? He broke it and he poured it out. The brokenness God desires is different than the brokenness that results from sin. This is why I've been wrestling all week. God, how... How does this go together? How does brokenness fit into your plan and your purpose? God takes the brokenness of sin and the pain and the hurt and the dysfunction and he brings healing to our life. I associate brokenness with evil, the opposite of what God wants to do in my life. And it seems so wrong to say, God, I want you to break me. Until I read Isaiah 57, 15. It says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. I've been resting. God, it seems so strange to pray for brokenness. Seems so opposite and contrary to what I think you want to do in my life. And then God reminded me of a conversation I had last week with one of my nephews. We were on our way to Summerland on Highway 97, and we saw the the horses on the side of the road. Have you ever seen those wild horses on the side of the highway? And we just started having a conversation about horses and horse words, and I realized I don't know too much about horses. And we started saying, well, what's a stallion? You know, and we're, you know in the car, we're trying to guess what a stallion is. And, well, what's a, what's a Mustang? You know, all these things. We're like, we don't understand horse words. Then someone said, well, what's a Bronco? You know, and we're like... Okay, I gotta Google this because this is not in my sphere of knowledge. And and I looked up bronco, and I just learned that it's just an unbroken horse. An unbroken horse is a bronco. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And I've had these pictures of these bronc riders at the stampede, and you know they ride these horses real hard. I, I got thinking about horses. The spirit led me to this idea of the of the broken uh, unbroken horse. I, so this week I you know I did a little Google search. What is an unbroken horse? An unbroken horse is an untrained, misbehaving, unable to be harnessed, ridden, or led, unable to follow the directions of its master. And I thought, how many of us are unbroken believers, right? Brokenness for a horse is just a, simply that a horse that can be ridden or driven, a horse that has been tamed. And I began doing some research and they were just talking about how in the old ways the Bronc riders would ride the horse hard. They would try to break the horse's spirit. You know, if you've ever watched all those Western movies, John Wayne, you know, crushing the wild spirit. You know, they would use punishment and deprivation of food and water. They would sometimes even torture the horse to break its spirit. And I was thinking, isn't that just like sin? Sin breaks us by running roughshod over us, crushing our spirit. But then it said this, now then it's no longer the case. These days the breaking of a horse is done with time, with dedication and great patience. And we got, Jesus was just putting in my heart this idea the old way that sin broke us was to crush our spirits, to cause us pain, to inflict damage on our lives. But that's not the kind of brokenness that God wants to bring. God wants to use gentleness and patience not to break and crush our spirits, but to make us humble and contrite before him. Brokenness by sin results in a crushed spirit. That's what God wants to restore But brokenness by God results in a humble and contrite heart that makes us able to be led by him, blessed by him, and used by him. See, this isn't about living a comfortable, half-hearted, part-time commitment to Christ. This prayer of saying, God, would you break me? It's saying, God, would you help me be molded and shaped? Would you help me uh, yield all of my will and desire to yours so that I could be led by you? Whenever I pray, God free me, God heal me, God bless me, God use me for your purpose, I'm really asking, God is there anything in me that needs to be broken so that I can be healed? Is there anything in me that needs to be broken so that I can submit to your calling? Is there anything in me that needs to be broken so that I can walk in wholeness and no longer in the brokenness of sin, but walk in humility with you? Maybe you're here and you say, well, I still feel like God break me. It's such a hard prayer to pray. I don't like the sound of it. I would just turn it into a question. God, where do I need to be broken? I trust you. I trust you. This morning, I don't know what position you find yourself in. Maybe you're in that place of brokenness. You say, sin has been breaking me. I've been way in the, the, just the the effects of my life and my life choices and the choices of people around me and the environment that I'm in, I feel broken. God wants to bring healing and wholeness to you this morning. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I've been following God, but God's been bringing me to some really uncomfortable places. Maybe last week you prayed, God, search my heart, see if there's anything in me, and you're just kind of like, God's been showing me some things that he wants to change in my life. Well, it's going to require some brokenness. It's going to be requiring some contriteness. Maybe you're hearing God's been stripping away some things that you've been holding on to. Some security. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's just identity. And God's saying, you don't need that. And He's coaxing you. Learn to let go. Break your grip so you can reach out fully to me. Would you stand and we're going to pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you God, I just thank you for your grace and your love. I thank you for your patience. God, that when we bring our broken lives to you, broken by sin and destruction and evil, you bring healing and wholeness and hope and joy and purpose and an identity. Lord God, but sometimes that process involves a re-breaking, a breaking of our grip a breaking of the the places we limp, a breaking of things that we're holding on to, God, so that we can fully yield and submit to you. So I pray this week that you would give us this courage to pray, God, break me. God, break me so that I can be free. Break me so I can be healed. Break me so I can be blessed. Break me so that I can be used by you. All across this room, I just want to invite you Just to simply say, hey, God, oh, I don't want to say it. I know when I pray for patience, you give me opportunities for patience. I don't want to pray, God, break me. But God, I want all you have for me. So I trust you. Would you lead me all across this room? that's you this morning, say, you know what? I just want all that God has for me. I don't want anything to hold me back. You would courageously say, God, I'm trusting you and your love and your goodness. Would you break me this morning? Would you break me today so that I can be truly free, truly healed? Yeah. Amen. So God, I pray in this place that you would give us courage and boldness to submit to your love and to your patient leading in our life. We love you, Jesus. We praise you.